Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with our special guest, sports agent in Japan, entrepreneur, Todd Wiley. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Great to see you. You know, we spent a lot of time in Japan and really got introduced over there. But right. what we didn't get introduced to, uh, really you and your life's journey. And I'm just really curious about that. So let's just start with this. Tell us about, I know where you're from. Tell us about where you're from. And I want to know about your mom and dad. All right. Well, I'm from the uh, bustling metropolis of Decatur, Illinois. <laughs> I, I guess we're most famous for the Decatur Staley's turning into the Chicago Bears. Nice. Uh, yep. Grew up there. Uh, my mother is actually from Germany and uh, her father was in the German Kriegsmarine and didn't survive the war. So my grandmother remarried a, a U.S. serviceman. My mother came to America when she was 14, couldn't speak a lick of English. Uh, so that's her background. They, they kind of come from a, a slightly aristocratic German family. Uh, they had Mercedes-Benz dealerships in Germany and uh, kind of that background before the war. Um, she came to Decatur. Uh, that's where my uh, step-granddad was from. And met my father in high school there. My father, on the other hand, was more of a uh, farmer type. Uh, their family was originally, I believe, from the Kentucky area, had been in Decatur for a couple of generations. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, my mother and father had three kids by the time they were 20, uh, me being the middle, middle child. So we uh, grew up in a unique kind of atmosphere with my grandmother speaking broken English and German to us. And then my uh, American side, um, uh, grandparents being very, you know, salt of the earth kind of farmer types. Tell us what kind of kid were you in high school? Were you a sports kid? Were you an academic kid? Uh, definitely sports, but I did love to read. So um, I, I read everything I get my hands on. I still do, actually, whether it's in English or Japanese. That's actually been one of the impetuses for me being able to read Japanese is I just can't stand it when I'm on the train or something and I, and I see a sign and I can't read it. And I actually have, I actually have an app on my phone to, if there's a, like a character, I don't understand which, which will help me understand what's going on there. Uh, I did play baseball throughout high school, wanted to play uh, football, but my father was afraid of the injury started uh, part of that. So he wouldn't let me play. Uh, was very heavily into baseball, but also, you know, like most Americans, into all three sports, you know, basketball, um, baseball, and football. Obviously watched a lot of your games. Uh, grew up a Bulls fan, Bears fan, Cubs fan. So. so talk about after high school. What were your thoughts uh, and, and where did you go? Yeah, so, you know, growing up, well, obviously my parents had a lot of pressure with three kids, uh, you know, by the age of 20. They divorced when I was about uh, eight or nine, I guess. And uh, I have an older brother who went to the University of Illinois, and uh, I wanted to also get some education, but there wasn't a lot of uh, funding for that for me. So I kicked around a little bit in Decatur, did some odd jobs, and then I wound up uh, joining, uh, joining the Air Force to get some opportunity. I also just felt like I really wanted to get away from the Midwest for a while and see, you know, another part of the world. So joining the Air Force was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. It allowed me to get that education. It allowed me to see the world. And it's really the reason that I wound up here in Japan. How long were you in the Air Force? 
I did not know that. Uh, yeah, a little under seven years. So I joined for four, and then you can do a couple of extensions before you have to decide if you want to re-enlist. And I did, I did actually love the Air Force and probably would have re-enlisted, but it, I was stationed in Hawaii and uh, really falling in love with the Asian culture at that time. You know, I'm a young single man in Hawaii. What's not to like? <laughs> so, exactly. That's not, that's not too shabby to be stationed in Hawaii. Right. So, so but, yeah, it no, looked like they were going to send me back to the Midwest for my next duty assignment. So that's when I decided to separate from the Air Force. Ah, so you're separated from the Air Force. Yep. So now what are you thinking? You, um, you're out of the Air so Force. This, yeah, this is the miracle part. <laughs> so so um, I had a Japanese-American girlfriend at the time. She was from Hawaii. And uh, there was a lot of Japanese in Hawaii because of what they call the bubble economy in Japan when their economy was just on fire. And there was Japanese people literally walking up to people's houses in Hawaii and knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'll buy your house. That's how hot their economy was in those days. So I was infatuated, you know, with how they got to that level of, of economic success. Um, just the whole culture, the people that I was seeing in Hawaii that were coming as tourists, uh, the language definitely. And then, you know, honestly speaking, as a, you know, a man in my mid-20s, I thought those Japanese girls were kind of cute too. So, <laughs> so um my girlfriend at the time got offered a position in Japan to be like a um, elementary school teacher. I don't know how to say it in, in English. It, I guess a cram school. Uh, she was offered a, a position with a cram school in Japan. And I went to her interview and the Japanese guy that was interviewing said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm just getting out of the air force. And he said, you want to be a high school teacher in Japan? <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, look, I have no experience teaching. And he said, we'll show you what to do. So on uh, January 11th, 1991, I was an Air Force member. And January 13th, I was standing in a classroom in Japan in front of 20 Japanese high school students, not speaking a word of Japanese. So how did that work? Did some of the young kids speak English or how did you communicate? Well, uh, you got to remember, this is pre-internet. I got here in 1991. <laughs> so, you know, you couldn't go on your phone and get something translated for you. Um, all Japanese have to study six years of English. And from your time in Japan, you know that there's some limited knowledge of English. Um, they actually forced me to learn Japanese because they were definitely the ones taking care of me in the beginning. Uh, I couldn't speak any Japanese at all, maybe two words. Um, but we really couldn't communicate. So I, I, I just put all my time into studying Japanese. I actually went out and bought um, a autobiography of Babe Ruth written in Japanese for junior high school kids. And I translated that by hand using the old fashioned way with a dictionary because we didn't have uh, the Internet in those days. And, I, and it really, you know, as it turns out, it, it really helped me to learn the language. But no, they Part of it was just uh, gestures and, and smiling. You know, we really couldn't communicate that much, but we figured it out. And I became close with all of those students. I still have letters that they wrote me, you know, how much they enjoyed being in my class and uh, kind of cherished those memories of my first days in Japan. So how long did it take for you to, to be fluent? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know that you ever get fluent in this language. I've actually been uh, recently even to... Uh, business meetings and, and as you know in japan everybody uh, exchanges a business card when they meet each other i've seen native japanese speakers 50 years old 
meet each other and then ask each other how they read each other's name. It's that difficult of a language. I think if I would have studied Spanish and French and German for the 30 years I've been studying Japanese, I would have all those down. Uh, so to get comfortable speaking, it probably took a couple of years. Uh, I was sitting in a sauna one day with a bunch of Japanese, and then I just realized, hey, I'm understanding what's going on here. So I would say that happened after about two years, but I, I still study to this day. I, I, there's there's 10,000 characters, roughly, and several ways to read those characters. So, you know, you got to keep, keep studying and keep learning. But uh, to get comfortable enough that I could feel like I knew what was going on a couple of years, and now to do business meetings and to write messages in Japanese, I continually try to improve that because it's, it's a difficult language. So your first job was a teacher. So talk about when you felt like you were ready to move on and do something different. Well, I had a two-year contract with that school and uh, I was getting a, getting a feel for the, the country and the language. And this is something that would be difficult for Americans to really relate to. But the first place I lived in was very Japanese. So there was no shower. It was a old style Japanese furo or bath. And you, you cranked a little handle and then it, that shot uh, heat and gas, uh, a gas burner <laughs> up underneath this little cubicle. And then you had to stir this thing. So it took about an hour to take a bath. But none of that stuff bothered me. I was really getting into the, the culture and the language and the learning and feeling like there was opportunity for me to do something. So after a couple of years of teaching, um, I went off and just did some, uh, I, went, I went to a sports club and I taught there, but I also did like um, uh, weightlifting classes. And, and, you know, at this time I'm still fairly young, uh, probably about 30 and uh, got more involved in day-to-day -day interactions with Japanese people, not just high school kids. And then I started looking around thinking, well, what could I do as a business? So I always knew that I wanted to have my own business. I didn't know it would be in a foreign country in a different language. <laughs> um, and I had done some vending kind of stuff um, when I was in the Air Force, just little you know, toys and things to make some extra money. And I, I knew that certain Japanese restaurants or shopping malls were into this kind of American retro look. So I opened up, at this time, again, Japan was different. It was harder to make a business. You had to have 30,000 um, US in capital to make a limited liability company, 100,000 to make a, uh, like a stockholder corporation. Uh, so I, I saved the 30000 and I made the first company, which was a vending business. And um, I got those all over Japan and shopping malls, also the U.S. military bases. And that was my first kind of foray into doing business in Japan and meeting. Because um, it's not like America. It's, it's much more formal, everything you do. You know, it's just proposals and, you know, face-to-face -face meetings. And they're, they're, they're not as quick to say yes to something. That, you know, in America, you might say, hey, I, I think this idea make a couple bucks for you. Let's do this isn't like that. It, it takes a lot more uh, personal relationships and getting to know people. So how did you get involved with, uh, with sports? Okay, so the first company that I made was about 1995-ish. Um, and I did that and was getting comfortable with, you know, for this business, I traveled all over Japan. And um, was getting comfortable with everything. And I never wanted to even get married or have a child. <laughs> But as you know, life can sometimes throw some surprises at you. I, I wound up getting married and I wound up having a son. And uh, I introduced him to all the sports, especially baseball, because that was my wheelhouse. Um, just to regress a little bit on the sports side, 
in Japan, as you saw when you were here, uh, training can be a bit <laughs> over the top. So I put him in baseball when he was about six and, you know, February, 25 degrees, icy rain, you practice eight hours. <laughs> so he got to a point where he finally said, I think I've had enough baseball. And he, he tried basketball and he immediately fell in love with it. And he said this, I know, I know that I want to do this with my life. I want to play it. And then I want to be involved with it. And at that time, Japan had eight professional teams. So they had a corporate league, which was run by Toyota and Kawasaki and Mitsubishi and Hitachi and the big corporations. So, you know, as a dad, you think, well, what can I do to support my, my son or my child? And I thought, well, it's really going to be hard for him to find a job when there's only eight teams. So let me get involved with this a little bit, see if I can make some connections. So I made a youth team for him, one, to avoid those kind of training things, because they do that for basketball, too. They'll practice eight or 10 hours a day, Saturday, Sunday, holidays. Uh, so I made a youth team uh, on the military base with an active duty Navy guy. And then some of the professional players in that corporate league, the American players, heard about it. And they had kids here that were not comfortable, you know, practicing on a Japanese team when they couldn't understand anything. So they asked if they could join our team. I said, of course. So they joined the team and then their dads and I got to be friends and they would ask for favors, you know, because I understood Japan and they didn't. You know, could you help me find this thing? Could you help me find this kind of restaurant? It, it grew a little bit. And I thought to myself, well, this is kind of turning into a, a, either a business opportunity or an actual business. So I established the sports company in 2004, I believe. And uh, another part, of, you know, part of success, I think, is just luck and timing. The Japanese basketball environment started to change. So they went from a corporate league to a breakaway league. In the corporate league, you could have two imports, one on the floor. And they made a, 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 a new league with the unfortunate name BJ League, <laughs> uh, which uh, allowed you to carry four imports and play up to three at a time. So there was more opportunities for players to come. So I started representing players and coaches and getting to know how this works and meeting people, meeting team owners. And at the same time, the Japan Basketball Association was having uh, difficulty accepting the new league. Um, so I just became a part of the whole basketball landscape trying to make things work. Uh, fast forward to the present, I, um, I got a partner, Deborah, who you know, who has an MBA and FIBA license and her and I work together very, very well. Uh, she kind of handles the American side and working with other agencies. And then I ha handle everything in Japan, but our timing was great because FIBA forced all of these leagues together in Japan and the, the basketball environment here has exploded. Even since you were here, Bill, it, it's literally, it's, it's 10 times as big. And so the new mandate for the, the league they want to make in 2026 is uh, teams have to have 12 million in revenue have a new arena with a minimum fan base of 4,000 fans. So to answer the original question, I got into it because of my son's love for basketball. And uh, it's kind of exploded from there. He's, he's going to be a senior in college, and hopefully you know, he's planning to come back and play professionally here starting next season. And it's, it's awesome. And my experience over there was, was really amazing. I had a great time. And you, and you were a lot of part of, uh, a huge part of that. So thank you. So, well, thank you. <laughs> I am, I am uh, curious of that. Um, who's your first client? And talk about the difference in salaries from then when you started. Sure. And sure. Um, you were close to one of the first clients, actually, that I worked with. But I, I believe it was probably Charles O'Bannon because it was uh, Chuck's son that really was looking for a place to play. He's, uh, I think, also going to be a senior in college now in the U.S. I think he's at TCU. 
Um, probably Chuck was the first player I started working with. Um, and then maybe you were the second uh, client that I had in Japan. At, at that time, also, they didn't require you to actually have an agent's license. I was able just to get by on my uh, network and my language skills. <clears throat> so and my knowledge of you know what Americans would need and want coming to Japan. And, you know, when you were here, I tried to make sure you had the right food and, the, you know, the comfortable accommodations and yeah. make sure you were, you know. So I was able to rely on those things as, as the leagues got bigger and everything, you actually had to have a license. And that's when Deborah and I made our agency and, you know, she has all the licenses. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say the first clients were you and, and Chuck going back. Yeah. So what's the difference in salaries now? Yeah. So in those days, uh, a player like Chuck would probably make um, a really good player. Like he was, was maybe a hundred thousand top uh, foreign players now are getting close to a million now um, definitely over half a million wow the top japanese player last season probably made the exchange rate between the yen and the dollars going crazy right now so it's tough to say in dollars but over a million between one and 1.3 million for the top japanese player so it's it's nothing like even when you were here but definitely when i first got started you know japanese players might have been making a couple thousand a month and now, you know, average player can be making 100, 200, 300,000 a month or a, a, a season. Wow. So um, talk about this uh, in, a, in a short fashion. What's the best thing about being in Japan? And what's the most challenging thing about being in Japan? Man, the best thing after 31 years... <laughs> It's hard to choose one because it's, it, it may not be for everybody, but you know, it fit what I was looking for. I, I love the challenge every day that I may not know something or I, I love to learn something every day. So like I said earlier, whether it's learning a new character or just a new way of thinking, uh, I was, it was nice to raise my son here because of the safety. Um, there's real no, there's no real violence and there's no real drug culture. So definitely that is appealing. Uh, the food, if you remember, it was, is just fantastic. Um, I, I just think the overall balance of, of life here is, is good. And, and so I would just have to say lifestyle, I guess, is the number one thing. Uh, the challenge, <laughs> you know, I, I, I won't ever forget that I'm a foreigner. I'm not Japanese. So, um, you know, there's certain things that I may not fit into perfectly. Uh, I, I, and like I said earlier, I don't know if I'll ever get the language Perfectly. And frankly, I don't know that I want to because I don't know that it matches me as a foreigner, you know, bowing deeply and doing certain things that really don't match who I am as a, as a person or, or coming from America. So uh, I would just have to say maybe sometimes I don't fit into certain situations might be the hardest thing about about living here. But not many complaints, Bill. I, I like it. No, I, I, I know. And I really <laughs> agree with you about the food. The the, the, the safety, I was really impressed that little kids could be on the train uh, sure. by themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really comfortable atmosphere and a real feel for people. They, they're they going to do the right thing. Uh, yeah. Certainly don't have that here. Um, <laughs> well, care. I told my son this recently, and I know there's a lot of turmoil in the States right now and around the world. You know, you can't let all of that 
drive you crazy because I remember in the seventies gas lines uh, and I, you know, we all know the forties with uh, the rise of the Nazis and everything. There's always challenges and tough things in life. You have to obviously be aware of all of that, do what you can to make things better. But at the same time, you got to try to enjoy your day-to-day life, be the best person you can be, be as successful as you can be. So even though I see all that going on and it, you know, it's, it's sad, I try not to let it dictate my day. I try to keep my, my, my thoughts positive and my outlook optimistic. Yes. Yeah, going sure. back, going back, there's one thing I would like to mention about Japan that it's changing. Fortunately, it, it affected you. Um, like I said earlier, the, the, the training schedule for kids with sports and even for education, it was, it's just too much. So um, they, they have a culture in Asia to do things, to go overboard with sports and to train for sports. So we had those 10 hour days of practicing baseball in 25 degree weather. If you remember when you came, a boy had killed himself. Yes. You remember that? Because of the pressure from his high school coach. And so that, that's definitely something that I don't agree with in, the, in J- Japanese culture or Asian culture. But fortunately, that is changing. Awesome. So being an entrepreneur, I know there's something you have in mind. So what's next? <laughs> well, as you know, I've been working on an invention. <laughs> and... Uh, for a, a something for Starbucks. So I won't go into detail. I won't share it because it's not completely done yet. Wow. But yeah, I think I've shared that with you. I'm not sure if I have. If I haven't, I'll do that privately. <laughs> uh, but I've been working on this for about eight years. I've spent a lot of money. I've went through a couple of different developers. I have a marketing team now in the U.S. that's helping me with a marketing plan. Uh, Starbucks is our, our first uh, point of entry that we hope to uh, appeal to. But obviously, we have some backup plans with uh, other um, coffee chains and different people. Uh, so I've been—that's uh, also on my plate right now. I've also been offered another uh, contract on the U.S. military to do some other stuff, but uh, turned 59 a couple of weeks ago. So I think we might have to start choosing what we want to do and, and you know focus on one or two things. So I do have a couple of things in the pipeline as an entrepreneur. You you can't stop. You, sometimes. I literally dreamed about the Starbucks idea. I literally had a dream about it. Wow. And then I called up my brother and said, Hey, I, I thought of this and he's an engineer and he helped me develop this. So you, you never stop as an entrepreneur. I think. You talked about it a little bit. Uh, talk about your family. About what? My family. Yeah. Here in Japan or overseas. In Japan. Uh, well, it's only me and my wife and son. And, uh, Oh, of course, I have a Japanese family uh, through her, but, um, you know, we've, we were blessed to have a kid that we're, we're crazy about. So our focus is still, you know, making sure everything that is uh, set up for him in his future. Uh, he's done great in college. He's been a four-year starter in basketball, playing at Rhodes College in Memphis. Uh, it's been a great experience for him. Um, we, we, we have a new house in Japan that uh, if you come back, we'll have a barbecue in. Nice. Um, Things overall, great for the family, great for me. Uh, no complaints. Um, everybody's healthy. My Japanese family's healthy. Um, knock on wood, everybody's doing great. Uh, her father owns a company that imports hay because, you know, they don't have enough land in Japan to uh, raise feed for the cattle, for the dairy farmers and whatnot. So um, he, he brings in hay from the U.S., Canada, Australia, and China, and, and she works for him and his company is doing well despite the uh recent turbulence with the yen uh getting a little bit weaker so 
knock on wood, everything's great. Every, no complaints. Still very happy and uh, still wearing the same size jeans as I wore in high school. So maybe that goes back to that good food in Japan. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm not doing that. I, I would like to be doing that, but I was, I was a stick in uh, high school. You know, I well, you're also running up and down the court. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a stick stick. So I was yeah. tall. I was about 220 pounds. At wow. School. Yeah, I was a stick. Yeah. yeah. So, so no, I, yeah. I, I can't wear those, but uh, uh, I'm just, my big dream is to get back to where uh, I was as a player. And that's yeah. where I'm aiming. So, right. Uh, well, I'll get there. Well, like I said before we came on, you look great. You know, I haven't seen you for a while. You look, you can tell your work is working for you. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm on this weird keto diet. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, my wife doesn't like it, but I do. I kind of like it. It's, uh, somebody's got me in line and keeping me under control. Well, if you remember that beef that uh, Sato san got for us with the Japanese oh, geisha. <laughs> so, uh, we'll go back and get some of that if you make another trip to Japan. Yes, and uh, we're definitely going to have to do that. Uh, Mr. Sato-san, uh, he yep. was an amazing man, and I, I really, really enjoyed uh, spending my time there. He loved having you. He's still, I think he's close to 90 now, but goes to every single game. Basketball crazy. Uh, the team is, you know, doing well. They have a new coach this year, so they, they still think of you a lot. Believe <laughs> They miss you. Nice. Well, Todd, thank you so much. For being on, Thank you, Bill. so happy to, to be able to, uh, to, to get you on, and um, hopefully, uh, very soon we can uh, see each other uh, in Japan. I look forward to having you. Definitely, we'll make it to the U.S. again soon as well, and hope to swing by and see you in person and uh, enjoy some time together. Thanks so much for having me today, Bill.